Hello there, Joanna. Hello, Nate. And hello to all of you. Thank you for listening. We're back again. We're here to talk about the unsolved, the mysterious, the misunderstood, the creepy, the macabre. We are Stranger Than. And today we're going to talk to you about two British murderers. Yes, this is our murder most foul episode. Yes. Today we will be talking about a doctor named Dr. William Palmer. And what do you got for us, Joanna? I will be discussing uh, the mysterious case of Lord Lucan. Lord Lucan. Well, would you like to start out? Not really. Okay. I was kind of hoping you would. <laughs> there we go. Ruggily, Staffordshire, England. British Empire. 1824. August 6th, a boy is born. He's six of what will eventually be seven. His father, Joseph, owned a profitable lumber business. And when he died in 1837, when William, the boy we're talking about, was 12, he left a chunk of change to each of his family. The children were each given 7,000 pounds under the stipulation that they not marry before 21. Sarah, his wife, was left 26,000 pounds under the stipulation that she not remarry. Today, each of the children would have received $1,018,258.37 American or $932,938.50 Euro. Wow, we really have a shitty conversion rate. Yeah. <laughs> Dollars to euros. Sarah would have received $3,782,102.51 American or $3,465,200.14 euro. There's going to be a lot of conversions, and henceforth it's only going to be in American because... It just takes a lot of time. Yeah. And we're American, so That's sorry. right. Yeah, so, you know... You can always do the conversion yourself if you're really desperate to. <laughs> As it stands, we know that Euro is more valuable than American. Yep, sure is. His upbringing was referred to as lavish. With the amount of money in the family, they were able to live pretty well. Apparently, Sarah was quite fond of her children, and especially so of William. She called him Billy. Oh, little Billy. Being so spoiled, he thought that he could do pretty much anything he wanted. That has a tendency to happen when That's, you spoil yes. the shit out of your kids. When he was old enough to work, he got a job at a chemist. Back in those days, a chemist was basically a pharmacist. Though I think they did some chemistry stuff as well. They were like, you know, drugs and chemicals. Right. I mean, I guess drugs are just chemicals anyway, or can be. Yeah, chemical compounds mixed just right. Nevertheless, you would go there to get, you know, your aspirin or whatever, and then you would also go there if you needed to get strychnine or, mm -hmm. you know, sulfuric acid. Right, or all the great poisons that were available at the time. Oh, yes, and there were many. Well, this little bastard was caught stealing money from incoming payments, and only with the intervention of his mother was kept out of jail. She had to pay back the money and apologize. After the chemist's job, he began apprenticing under the local doctor. Tilecoat. He was again caught stealing money and again fired. It's possible he was also caught running his own abortion clinic out of the place he was working. 
and that caused him to flee the job. However, there's not much solid evidence of this. It's probably one of those like nasty rumors that people like that pops up whenever something. Yeah, you know, it could like have been. Yeah. Somebody closes up shop real quick or quits their job. It's like, mm. He was running that abortion clinic out yeah, the back. But that's what was going on. There are also stories that he and a friend were both going after the same girl. Well, she chose his friend over William, who retaliated by burning his friend's stuff. Not sure what kind of stuff. But he burned it with some kind of acid he'd stolen from a chemist. Oh, wow. So he, like... Like, burned it, burned it. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, setting a fire is one thing, but dousing your friend's belongings with acid, that's pretty hardcore. That's that's fairly hardcore. In 1844, William registered at Stafford Infirmary as a student. Stafford Infirmary is a hospital that was founded in 1804 and, cl- and closed in 2012. Sources say that his registering here was to complete his medical training, so it's possible that all the jobs he had that he was stealing from were some sort of apprenticeship situation. So he was learning the trade of doctoring or whatever just by working with doctors. Well, I mean, it was a long time ago. That's probably how you did it. Yeah, yeah. This is pre-Civil War, so this is quite some time ago. Pre-American Civil War, anyway. Right. Whatever the case, he was 20 at this time, and the following year he got his inheritance and moved to London, where he continued his education at St. Bartholomew's Hospital. The big city of London either did or did not agree with William, depending on your point of view. He pretty much spent his time drinking, fucking around, and whatnot. His mother, seeing he was just going to piss all his money away and have nothing to show for it, hired a tutor for a hundred pounds, sixteen thousand one hundred and forty-three dollars American, to get him to complete his certification, no matter what. Well, despite the gambling, drinking, and whatever, whoring, God only knows. The tutor made his money, and William Palmer became Dr. William Palmer. This was in 1846, and shortly after finishing school, he moved back to Staffordshire. Probably Staffordshire. Staffordshire. Yeah. There's a story, never proven, of a little drinking wager. Palmer was drinking at the Lamb and Flag in a village called Little Haywood. This village, also in Staffordshire, was also the home of Edith Tolkien. In 1916, her husband, J.R.R., was staying with her in a cottage near the village and was where he began writing about Middle-earth. Specifically, this is where he began the book The Silmarillion. The reason he was here was because he was recovering from trench fever because he fought in World World War I, and he was just back home uh, recovering. Recovering from all the awfulness? Yes. Trench fever is a disease which is spread by lice, and is very common in World War I. He had a headache, fever, and most notably sore legs. C.S. Lewis, the author of Chronicles of Narnia, also suffered from this sickness during the war. Was it because it was just so lice-ridden that, like, you got, like, bit so much, you got, like, a secondary bacterial infection, probably, from, like... I'm not 100%. I did look up a bit about it. I didn't go too much into it because it wasn't... They didn't just fucking spell it out for me, basically. Right. They said all kinds of medically doctory stuff. Yeah. I yeah. believe trench fever is probably something that is probably like a, a series of things, like, all kind of jammed into one, and we just didn't have the ability to figure out, oh, you're actually this yeah, combined with this and this. Basically, you probably just got some sort of awful bacterial infection from just the horrid living conditions, whether it be multiple lice bites or 
sitting in water for prolonged times and drinking dirty water and just all the filth. Combination and, of everything. Yeah, a combination of everything. Yeah. Horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Oh, man. Did you watch 1917 yet? I have not seen. That's that movie? That's the movie that's out. No, I have yet oh, to see it's it. so good. I went and saw it, but there is like a really sick part in it that's just like, oh. I really like those war movies. Like Saving Private Ryan was really good, and mm-hmm. Band of Brothers was also really good, as, as well as The Pacific. And I know that's all World War II stuff, but still, I think it's it's those like realistic depictions of and in some cases like actual events it's just it's fascinating yeah so this this one was a you know a world war 1 movie and it was just just like all the bodies that are just piled up and buried in the trenches and yeah. just how there's just like rotting corpses all over the place it was it was pretty good at depicting just awful disgusting gruesome disgusting fucked up attitude so i mean you're probably lucky if a fever is all you came back with but right well at probably least... it, it could have been pretty like who knows like fever could have meant anything probably you were a little bit septic i would imagine and at least you got out of the fucking trenches and and in jrr tolkien's case got to go see your your wife you know you haven't seen her since mm-hmm. you got married probably god at any rate a plumber george abley and palmer began talking the conversation eventually led to whether or not Abley could drink two tumblers of brandy. It's really hard to say exactly how much brandy would fit in a tumbler, as they come in many sizes. Eight ounces to thirty-plus ounces. Back in these days, there, who knows? Palmer could not resist a wager, and the bet was made. George drank the brandy. He won the bet, but collapsed outside the pub and later died. Oh dear. There was a coroner's jury, and the death was ruled an accident. Allegedly, one juror had the reason to believe that Palmer had poisoned George because George's wife had turned him down when he had come to her at a at some point in the past. So, like, William tried to scam on George's wife. She is didn't want any part of William, said no, and apparently that's why this whole thing happened. And that juror seemed to think he had that inside information? Yes. Hmm. Yes. But that's unproven. In 1847, Palmer and a 20-year-old woman named Annie Thornton, the illegitimate daughter of an army colonel, got married. They had met several years before when he had been working with Dr. Tylecote. One of his jobs had been to treat students at the local schools. Annie's father had left her with a property that was worth... Annie was a student at one of these schools, and her father had left her with a property that was worth 250 pounds a year. $37,149.19 American. And Annie's alcoholic mother, Mary, thought that Palmer married her for the money. It seems that Mary was in control of the property and the money generated by it until her death. She also thought that he was poisoning her cats. Uh. I don't know if he actually was. I think she was just a crazy old drunk lady. That's kind of what it sounds like. All right. I hate it when people poison cats. Yeah, there's no... There's never really been any evidence that he was cruel to animals any more so than people were probably just cruel to animals back in the day anyway. Two years later, Palmer found Mary unconscious at her house and took her to his. She was allegedly suffering from alcohol poisoning and never regained consciousness. She died January 18th, 1849. 
the property was in Mary's control and, per the colonel's will, was to move to Annie. The local courts, however, decided that because of her marriage, the property would instead go to the colonel's cousin. This reportedly enrages Palmer. So, doesn't get along with the stepmother. She's standing in the way of 250 pounds a year from this property. He finds her sick at her house. Well, let me take, I'll take care of you. I'm a fucking doctor. Brings her back home where she never, you know, she just dies. Mm -hmm. It's tragic, really. It's tragic. William's love of gambling kept growing and changing. And as time progressed, he became obsessed with horse racing. He had a friend named Leonard Bladen, who, on the last horse race of his life, did quite well. When all was said and done, Palmer owed Bladen around a thousand pounds. $160,500 American. That's quite a bit. That's a chunk of change. So off they went to the house at Ruggley, where Leonard Bladen became sick and died. Dr. Palmer said it was lingering complications from a chest injury he'd suffered a month and a half previous. He'd been hit in the chest with a cart, which I guess is, I'm guessing it's a horse-drawn cart. Mm -hmm. The injuries were said to be quite severe. The cause of death on the death certificate was an internal abscess from the previous injury. Before heading to Palmer's house, Leonard had written a note to his wife informing her of the good news about his winnings that night. She was surprised to find only 15 pounds in his possession. $2,409.68 American today. Funny how that works out. Mm-hmm. Quite. Sometime between 1848 and 1850, William and Anne had a son they named William. William Jr. was the only one of Palmer's five children that lived. All of the other children died between a few hours old to two and a half years old. The cause of death for each of the children was convulsions. There's a story that the former cleaning lady of the Palmers, Matilda Bradshaw, claimed that he killed the kids to avoid pain for their upbringings. Another theory, though unlikely, is Dr. Palmer had rhesus-positive blood and Anne had rhesus-negative. If William Jr. had also been rhesus-positive, then each of the subsequent children, if also rhesus-positive, would be attacked by the mother's antibodies, causing severe illness. Yeah, it can cause all sorts of problems. They, you know, now... The modern times, they test for whether you're RH positive or negative. Yeah, I would. Yeah, they test for everything pretty much now. Yeah, yeah. and then if you, and if it's like not the um, ideal combination, they just give you like a Rogan shot or something like that. Oh, wow. It's pretty. It's no big deal. Easily corrected. But back in the day. It had no idea. It could cause all sorts of, um, you know, and mental retardation and all sorts of fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've spoken briefly about rhesus positive and negative in the past. Blood types have a letter or letters followed by a positive or a negative. The, that positive is called the rhesus factor, or RH, and is a protein. If you've got it, you're positive. If not, you're negative. Do you know what your blood type is? No idea. Wow. In the Missing People's 3 episode, we talked about an I, I talked about an idea where those with rhesus negative blood were being targeted for surveillance and abduction. I said it was unlikely that all the children were RH positive, but not impossible. 15% of Americans are RH negative, which is 3 in 20. So it's possible they're all RH positive. I don't know for certain, but I believe death because of that would happen before two and a half years. Possibly. 
But I guess it could be complications on, afterwards, Yeah, it too. just depends on whatever the fuck, however it, it attacks the baby in utero. And it, sh- it shows up in just jaundice or hemolytic anemia and uh, hyptonia. So hyptonia is low muscle tone. Jaundice is a chemical buildup that the liver can't process, which results in red blood cells being destroyed. And hemolytic anemia is when the blood cells don't move enough oxygen around the body, resulting in low energy levels. None of these conditions would cause convulsions. Unless it had gotten to the point where it was starting to affect the nervous system as well. I mean, one system fails and then... That's true. Possible. Yeah. On September 29th, 1854, Ann Palmer died of cholera. That's not a good way to go. It is not a good way to go. A couple weeks before this, she had caught a chill in a carriage she had taken with William's sister. She went straight to bed upon returning home, and after she had a light breakfast brought to her by her husband, and then she began vomiting. It went downhill from here. Now, not long before the concert, William had taken out a life insurance policy on her. 13,000 pounds. So that's $2,089,354.39 American today. There had been a cholera outbreak in the area at the time. I mean, kind of. It was in London, and it was limited to one specific water pump. Oh, yeah. No, I yeah. I heard about that on the, what was that? I think it was the, um, this podcast will kill you. I think so, too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I like the cholera episode. Yep. So uh, he was not living in London. He was in Staffordshire. So. Although. You know, to be fair, at that time, I mean, cholera can just turn up anywhere. It could have been. It could, I mean, it could have been. Sanitation is pretty poor. It was also a kind of a catch-all term for diseases that caused like food poisoning symptoms. Right. Because so I mean, anything really, that they... you were puking and had diarrhea, they're like mm-hmm. fucking cholera. Yeah. They didn't have the ability to tell. They didn't. They didn't have microbiology really. Right. So, so it was pretty hard to differentiate one bacterium from another. Though he was reported to have been quite heartbroken at the funeral, his housemaid, Eliza Tharm, who was 18, gave birth to a boy she called Alfred on June 16, 1855. This was Palmer's boy. At the age of five months old, after a visit with his father, Alfred died. William's brother Walter was a raging drunk and died on August 16, 1855. As you could probably guess, William had taken an insurance policy out on him. Shocker. This time it proved to be more difficult to get an insurance company that would take his alcoholic brother. It was much easier for him to get his young wife insured. Right. Well, I imagine if it's known that someone, you know, suffers from drink or however Mm. they used to. Right. Eventually, he hired someone to keep his brother sober long enough to pass a medical examination. Oh, gosh. And so he got insured. And it ended up being the same company that had insured Anne. The amount taken out for Walter was 14,000 pounds, so just a little bit more than for his wife. Well, this time the insurance company didn't just straight pay up. They sent a couple investigators. And it turns out that Palmer is kind of a shady dude. I know. You wouldn't have expected that from everything else I just said. He'd had the coffin sealed before Walter's wife, William's sister-in-law, had gotten the opportunity to see the body. 
And, uh, well, he was the beneficiary instead of the wife. It turns out that William was trying to clandestinely insure one of his employees as well. Although it's possible that the investigators had something to do with this in an attempt to, like, figure out Dr. Palmer's honesty level. So they, like, kind of gave him, like, a test. Like, oh, man, you should insure your employee. Oh, that'd be a great idea. You know, like, sort of an entrapment sort of scenario. And see if he really did it. Yeah, yeah. Um, If it was a test, then he failed it. Because, you know, he was like, that's a great idea. <laughs> I should go do that. Yeah. Well, I don't see what the big shock was. I mean, I, I wouldn't go out and buy an insurance policy and let somebody else be the beneficiary. No. It's like, dude, if the wife wanted to get the life insurance, she should have got him sobered up and yeah, gotten it herself. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, it would come to it as a shock if I found out that he had a life insurance policy out that his that you know if I had a husband who died and it was like oh your brother took out a life insurance policy yeah it seems a little fishy yeah. doesn't it yeah it yeah. would it would seem a little fishy to find out his brother had taken out a life insurance policy that made him the beneficiary upon his death yeah but you know hopefully I would have been smart enough to be like well I have my own life insurance policy yes so, I I would know. hope so. If you did do it, just don't fucking get caught. And I guess, you know, hey, if you did do it, I still get my money because I'm not the one who did the crime just to get the payoff. That's right. Well, the insurance company did not pay out for his brother's death, which posed a problem for William, who was apparently drowning in debt. I guess he was being blackmailed by some woman he used to sleep with. Despite his financial problems, William accompanied a friend of his, John Parsons Cook, to the Shrewsbury races. I wonder how, like, how do these people just go around with uh, all these bad debts, but they still just do shit? I don't know. I guess people today do that. Like, you know, yeah. just, I'll just open up another credit card. No exactly. biggie. It was easier back then because you had to be physically found. That's true. Shrewsbury races is a horse racing event of some sort. Now, Cook won pretty big that night. William, not so much. Uh, I, he lost pretty well. Despite being in a shitty mood, Palmer went with Cook after the races and partied some time, which involved brandy. During the evening, Cook complained of his throat burning at one stage, but William ignored it and, like, egged him on to keep drinking, like, yeah, whatever, you pansy ass, have another tumbler of brandy or whatever. There's a rep- there is a report by a woman who is partying with, partying with them that she saw Palmer alone in a pantry, messing with a vial and a tumbler. He didn't act like anything was out of place. He just, I don't know, didn't freak out at all. If you act like nothing's wrong, most people won't think anything's wrong. The following day, Cook stayed at the hotel, feeling under the weather, and Palmer headed off to the races, where he lost quite badly. He and Cook headed back to the Rugalery house, where Cook booked a hotel across the way from Palmer's. Over the next few days, Cook would get better, then he'd eat, and he'd get worse. Well, it seems like maybe you should have noticed a pattern going on here. Well, guess who was giving him all the food? Hmm. It was Palmer. Dr. Palmer. And it's reported that one of the chambermaids who would deliver, it was broth he was eating, who would deliver the broth got sick after trying it. Well, you know, I can see where you would think broth would be like a safe thing to eat. Yeah. 
It usually is. Unless it's poisoned. Unless it's poisoned. Palmer, being the great guy he was, went and collected all the money owed to Cook from his winnings. And then a couple days later, Cook died. While suffering from convulsions. Cook's stepfather, William Stevens, came into town. He thought that Cook was just some playboy jackoff and immediately didn't like his jackoff stepson's shitty friend Palmer. Shitty friend Palmer. His view of Palmer did not improve when he found out that he'd incurred a 4,000 pound debt in funeral expenses because Palmer had ordered a casket and began making arrangements. A little presumptuous. Yeah. Stevens, knowing his stepson had gambled and won, asked Palmer for the betting papers. They're just receipts that showed his winnings. Which, of course, Palmer could not produce had he'd cashed them in already. Palmer gave a couple bullshit excuses. First, he said, Cook was dead, so the papers were void. Stevens was like, no, dude, you gotta hook it up. And then William just told him, oh, I, I, they, they were lost. I don't know where they are. Stevens goes back to London and talks to a solicitor, who is a legal person who specializes in the drawing up of wills and other legal stuff. Kind of like a lawyer. Yep. As the next of kin... Stevens ordered a post-mortem, which is carried out by a friend of Palmer's. This guy showed up without any medical equipment, and by the su suggestion of Palmer, they decided to make it a learning experiment. Two assistants were to perform the procedure. Apparently, one was pretty green because he needed a glass of brandy to calm himself down enough to carry on. At the insistence of Stevens, Cook's stomach contents were sent to an expert in London. Apparently, they were not in good enough condition for the expert, Dr. Alfred Swain Taylor, to do anything with them, and he demanded a second post-mortem. It's possible that the condition of the stomach contents was not a result of incompetence, but instead purposefully tampered with. The second sample that was sent was not useful enough for him to get any results out of it, but he still believed it was strychnine poisoning. Dr. Taylor believed this so much that he attended the coroner's inquest and testified to this. This may not have been enough to get Palmer in any kind of trouble, but he had tried to bribe the coroner, who was honest, and did not take the bribe. He's just like, nah, dude. Additionally, he had bribed the postman to show him the results of the second autopsy before it got brought to you know its final destination, but the postman got busted for this and knocked the guy out, knocked William out. He went to jail for two years. The coroner's jury found Dr. Palmer guilty of poisoning Cook. Whoops. <laughs> Fucked that whole deal up. This was something that was pretty new. A doctor poisoning people. It was a huge story. Palmer's whole life was looked at and everyone he knew interviewed. Mainly by newspaper writers, I believe. This was like the biggest thing to happen. Apparently, every misdeed of his was aired in print, and before any legal proceedings, everyone in Staffordshire knew everything. The depth of Palmer's shittiness was really known on January 20th, 1856, at the trial of his mother. She was being sued for fraud over 2,000 pounds by some creditor, 321,000 American today. Sarah denied that the signature on the contract or whatever was hers. William, quote unquote, came to the rescue by admitting that he had gotten his dead wife, Anne, to forge his mother's signature. So before she died, they just fucking scammed his mother out of a bunch of cash and just was going to let her, just hanging her out to dry. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Good dude. Yeah. Authorities ordered the bodies of William's brother Walter and William's wife Anne be exhumed. First was Walter, whose lead coffin contained remains too com- decomposed to be of any use. So decomposed, it said, that the bar the casket was opened in stunk for months Gross. following. Ew. Yeah, no shit. Don't so go to that like, pub. It was just like sludge. Just basically like human stew. A lead coffin. Oh, nasty. Anne's body was still f- fresh enough that they were able to find antimony traces. Antimony is a chemical element that has been used as a poison for hundreds of years. It's similar to arsenic in effect and is traditionally used in slow poisoning. This was enough. Authorities believed that these two people had also been murdered by Palmer, and they were keeping these murders separate just in case he got off the murder of Cook. So apparently, in Britain at the time, you could charge someone with a murder and then hold off on some other murders so that if they didn't get convicted on one, then you could be like, okay, well, what about this one? Right. And then, oh, what about this one? I don't know if that's something that can still be done or if that's something that can be done here. I'm not sure that you could actually charge them with it and then just hold off on convicting them of it, but you could probably sit on some evidence that in the future you could probably, like, charge them with somebody else's murder. Right. If... The but we don't know for certain because we're not a, lawyers. Yeah, I mean, we're not lawyers at all. They never but... <laughs> covered that law and order, so I don't know. But I'm pretty sure, I mean, if you officially charge somebody, you, you know, you got to move forward with it or dismiss the charges. And then if you try somebody, then, you know, you get your shot. And... Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. That's, it may be different in Britain, too. But I don't I don't know how. Um, not quite sure on the you know just sitting on some evidence without doing i don't know quite like how yeah that... yeah well it was it was fine back in the day yeah so. i don't I don't know how moral that's that's considered to be these days or, no i know, guess but when you're trying to put away someone like this i mean shit i'd do it <laughs> yeah fucking a if it's like okay if this one doesn't work we're going for number you know, two we got an ace up our sleeve here the courts had a hard time getting Palmer's case to trial. Everyone in the surrounding area had read about his crimes, and no one was unbiased. This made it impossible to get a jury to sit for the case. Parliament actually had to pass a new law to get this case to trial. The Central Criminal Court Act of 1856, commonly called Palmer's Act, and originally called the Trial of Offenses Act, basically allows for a trial to occur on neutral ground where the populace doesn't know of or is far enough removed from to be unbiased. So basically, they moved the, the trial a to change like change of venue. Yeah, they moved it to like London or something where mm-hmm. no one knew or gave a shit or whatever. Super easy to do back then, since right, I'm sure the no, Staffordshire like, newspapers didn't make it out much outside of Staffordshire. Yeah, something that's like way harder to do these days with like the internet. Internet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A month, one month after this law was passed. Palmer was sitting in front of a London judge. They literally made this law because they needed to get his ass in front of a fucking judge. They're just moving it right along. That's right. For the prosecution, they had Attorney General of the time, General Alexander Cockburn. (laughs) For the defense, we have Mr. William Shee. Cockburn and Shee. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Had there been basketball at the time, this case would have been called a slam dunk for the prosecution. They established motive, with Palmer's outstanding debts. They had two different chemists testify that they sold Palmer strychnine and did not record it in their poison book because he was a doctor. I think that a poison book was the book that chemists recorded all their poison sales in. Right, just in case something like this happened, probably. Exactly, exactly. it's like, yeah, you better keep track of who you sell poison to. You got to log it. Right. So that... Unless it's a doctor, in which case, don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, because trust them. Like, that guy gets a free pass. Exactly. They also looked at all the deaths surrounding him and established a pattern. All of the children, everyone he ever, like, owed money to. Yeah. I mean, like, there are some deaths there. And, of course, there was the fact that William was the person providing all of Cook's care before his death. Yes. His attempt at bribing the coroner, of course, also played into it. So, how many people are on this, like, body list? I mean, it's, like, his mom. Uh, no, his mom's his mom's alive still. He his just mom's he alive. stole from her. He just stole from her. It's his his brother, his wife. His kids. Four of his kids. Jesus. Uh, His illegitimate child. Um, I his friend from the race, and then, and then the two friends, the when the one friend before the one that like died from the drinking. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it, weren't there two friends? That oh died no, from no. There drinking? was there was the plumber who died from the drinking. Yeah, and then there was the first friend he gambled with that died, and then the second friend he the the cook, the yeah. one that actually he's going to he's yeah, getting fucked his, for. His father was like cook's father, stepfather. Yeah, stepfather yeah. was just like uh uh-uh. uh. So what is that? I didn't even. I lost count there. I lost count uh, too. I so there was the <laughs> the two gambling guys, the plumber, uh, five kids. So that's eight. Wife and brother. So ten. Damn. So ten people that we are aware of. Right. Who knows who else? Like, oh, that guy looked at me funny. The and defense poisonous food. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> the defense really swung at Cook not dying of strychnine poisoning. Cook's personal doctor believed his death was caused by tetanus as opposed to strychnine. Tetanus is carried in all manner of things and can be introduced into the body through a break in the skin. Basically, just being dirty and not using soap, you can get tetanus. Very rare nowadays, not so rare back in the day. They also talked to a man who claimed to have been with Palmer during one of his alleged strychnine purchasing trips. Unfortunately, this guy, Jeremiah Smith, was also the official witness of the life insurance policy for Walter, which kind of implicated him in the whole deal. So, you know, Walter was his brother. Yeah. So bad, bad witness. The trial took 12 days. The jury deliberated for one hour and 17 minutes. The judge sentenced Dr. William Palmer to death. And on June 14th, my birthday, 1856, he was hanged. His mother maintained his innocence even after his death wow still her favorite huh still her favorite billy sir billy even though he totally like drained her financially and uh killed one of her other kids yeah and her grandchildren and yeah she probably just didn't believe it just a horrible piece of shit she just didn't believe it yeah just not my favorite there's no way palmer is somewhat known he was referenced by sherlock holmes in some sherlock holmes novels and that was very rare for a real world person to be written about in the sherlock holmes books charles dickens referred to him as quote the greatest villain that ever stood in old bailey dock unquote 
Old Bailey is the name for the court in London he was tried at. Hmm. So, you know, a well-known poisoning-ass murderer. Yeah, that guy sucks. That guy totally sucks. He just poisons his way through everything. (laughs) Fuck. Well, and the annoying part is is that it's like he's doing this secondary to just being like a a piece of shit gambler that like can't maintain maintain and yeah so it's like he's just killing everyone for money to cover his fucking debts and it's not like you know he did it the one time and it's like oh well i learned my lesson now no he no he just continues he did learn his lesson i'm gonna keep trying (laughs) he just continues to uh piss away all his money and to kill people to get it back he's kind of bumbling yeah i mean it's just like dude it's like he's just sort of a bumbling idiot (laughs) well gambling um plays a big part in my guy's story oh really so he's also a Mm -hmm. yeah he's also a degenerate gambler Mm -hmm. oh yeah degenerate gambler yeah (laughs) whatever whatever potato potato he has one lord lucan Lord Lucan. Lord Lucan. Get the title and all. Oh, yeah. Richard John Bingham. And he was the seventh Earl of Lucan. Oh, damn. Born on the 18th of December, 1934. He had the typical upbringing of an aristocrat. He and his siblings went to the United States in 1940 because of the whole World War II thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they got sent away. That whole deal. Yeah, that whole deal. So they got sent away to live with, like, some, like, widowed heiress in, like, New York and Florida. Rough. Yeah. Well, poor old England's getting the shit bombed out. The shit bombed out of them, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone's on rations and toughing it out. Yeah, living in the London underground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, if I had the means to and I was in a war zone, I would totally send my fucking children away. Oh, 100%. So, you know. I mean, no no question at all. If I could, definitely get the kids the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. That's just, that's yeah. just good sense. It is. Upon his return, he seemed to have problems adjusting back to life because he was there for like five years. He was there from like when he was like six years old until he was like 11. Oh, yeah. And then comes back to England and... You know, I mean, it's just a little bit different than it is out in... Oh, yeah, especially because, you know, there's all the reconstruction going on after the London was, or England mm-hmm. was bombed to shit. So there is, it still wasn't a great place, just you no longer had to worry about shit falling out of the sky. Right. And then it's just, I feel like it's just kind of more rigid, I would say, as to... Oh, yeah. How you're expected to behave, especially when you are the son. I mean, at this time, he's not a lord yet. He's the son of a lord. But. I mean, nothing like now, but still, I mean, 1940s America was probably a little bit looser on the collar than 1940s Britain. He was diagnosed with some form of like attachment uh, disorder, and it was suggested to his mother that he get a dog to try and uh, get him to like not be. Such a clingy little bitch. Well, I think it was more that he was like not a clingy little bit. Like he did, he wasn't. He was very. Oh, uh, yeah. He was like kind of like a psychopath. Like yeah, like, yeah. Like very detached. From, I see. Not mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like you need yeah. to have this dog to learn some love, boy. Right to have like some empathy and like compassion. Although I'm sure 
there was a whole five years that his parents weren't around. And when I say like, you know, the typical aristocrat upbringing that, you know, governesses and nannies. Yeah. I'm always reminded of Downton Abbey. Yeah, can you go see Mummy for an hour? Yes, that whole like thing with Lady Crawford and the the Dowager Duchess, and she was like, "Oh, really? I didn't realize you were such an involved parent. I always imagined you'd see them for like an hour before dinner or something like that." And she's all like, "Well, yes, but it was an hour every day, right?" <laughs> Lady Crawford, like, she's just the best. Whoa. She's like, "Right? How exhausting." <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yes, an hour every day. But it was every day. But it was an hour every day. Like, dude, for like years. Well, when he finished his, I don't know what they call them, primary and secondary schools, he went to university, he went to Eton, which is one of the ones where all the, you know, rich... Fancy pants one. Fancy gentlemen go. Uh, He also did his obligatory service in the military okay yeah because that was something that was uh i think when you're like a lord and stuff that's kind of like expected that you yeah it's probably not real military service it's not like no it's not camp yeah it's you know it's more of like in title i guess it's like a yeah like i think that you're expected to be the leader of the people from your specific area that right. you're like a lord of. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where it comes from. But lords haven't fought in wars for hundreds of years. They haven't, they're able to to get that, pay people, other people to do that for them. Right. Although some did. I mean, there was. Oh, some did. Yeah. 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 But was, I mean, the, the, the era of like the, the warrior king was over in like right. the 1200s. Right. But there was, there were some here and there. Definitely. I mean. Because I think. You know, I mean, they raised raised with this wealth and privilege, but it's a little bit different. Like, I mean, that's kind of like an American thing to do, like buy your way out of having to do with it, uh, having to serve. There were, I think, a lot like in World War One and World War Two that definitely, definitely were in it yes. because they felt like you know that's their duty as. But they were also not in it like the serving boy was in it, right? And then they when you just did your, when you yeah, did your I mean, required service, you weren't doing it like the serving boy joining up with the military, wartime or not. Right, no. You still had it more cush, I, definitely, I imagine. Definitely. Uh he joined the Coldstream Guards, which was like a group of, you know, like the rich Cool name. Yeah, Coldstream Guards. I wonder if they got tattoos, probably not. I don't know. I would have got tattoos. Probably tattoos weren't a big thing. It was probably it, just military people. They're like, oh, yeah, no, I was in the military. Check it's, out my, probably, my it's a bunch uh, of ris- Navy rich tattoo. aristocrats doing their required military service. Right. We're not talking about Rico's roughnecks. No. He spent a lot of his time off-duty gambling and playing poker. And I guess he had a pretty good poker face. Maybe it had to do with that like lack of emotion. <laughs> he just didn't care about <laughs> anything, so it was really easy. The guy gave no tells. Now, he had become a banker. After his army service, because I mean, I think that's usually what something you know, rich, you, just, you know, you you do something with money where you get you wear a suit and mm-hmm. you go sit in an office and drink tea. Yeah, perhaps after ten, some brandy. Not with William Palmer. <laughs> 
Don't drink brandy with Palmer. Don't drink anything with Palmer. Don't hang out with Palmer. Yeah, just... Um, I mean, it's pretty easy to do because he's pretty dead, but still. Yeah. Just avoid that guy at all costs. Yes. Now, he won a substantial amount of money. I didn't convert it, but this isn't quite, you know, Palmer time because this is like in the 1950s, but it was about 20,000 pounds, sorry, which I guess was several times what his salary was as being like working at the bank. And he was just like, fuck this. I'm just going to become a professional gambler. Yeah. I mean, I can see how that would be very enticing. Be similar to someone who is used to selling drugs or something, you know, mm-hmm. they're used to making hundreds of dollars and then they have to go, you know, legit because the fucking fuzz closing in or whatever. And suddenly they're making, you know, at 10 bucks an hour. Yeah. I'm like, you know, twice a month they get paid. It was easy money, and he enjoyed it. And I'm sure at some point it crossed over from enjoyable pastime to full-on addiction. Yeah. In 1963, he met his future wife. Her name was Veronica Duncan, and her sister was married to one of his really good friends. The guy's name was Bill Shand Kid, and he was like super loaded. Bill Shand Kid. Bill Shand Kid. He kind of surrounded himself with uh, a lot of people of wealth. Even though he was a lord, I don't think he was one of those like obscenely rich lords. Yeah, he wasn't like a Saudi prince or nothing, but he was, you know, he had still, he still had to work for a living. Yeah, he still had to work for his living. I mean, plus, his parents were like socialists or something. So they had, oh. they, they had the title, but they weren't super in they're not like freaking lord grantham where they're just like struggling to like you know keep the aristocracy going yeah and, you know yeah. like i don't want to live like a commoner like what the fuck so i think i think that had a lot to do with it like he was he was a lord but also he wasn't quite so he had pants. the upbringing around all the really super rich and wealthy but maybe not as much of it himself as he would have liked and he had this tendency to want to whatever he did have he gambled away quite a bit but he surrounded himself with such rich friends that they're always just like oh that's okay i'll cover you or don't worry about it yeah Mm -hmm. so bill shan kid was one of these guys that was super rich and in the inner circle several months later he marries veronica and two months after their wedding, his father dies, so now he's officially Lord Lucan. Yeah. The first couple of years of their marriage seemed pretty normal. Their first daughter was born in October 1964, Francis. September 1967, they had their son George, and then their daughter Camilla in June 1970. All right. Following the birth of the three children, it seemed like the marriage began to deteriorate deteriorate a bit. Lady Lucan tended to suffer from postpartum depression. Mm. Yeah. And within like a short amount of time after the birth of the the last kid, Camilla, she was having a pretty hard time of it and it seems that Lord Lucan was maybe trying to find reasons why he might want to like get out of his marriage. 
Oh, yeah, sort of. Yeah, sort of like, you know, just didn't want to really deal with her. And... Right, he already can't, doesn't have much empathy, and there's this and, fucking... Well, and I mean, she's like nagging him about the fact that he's constantly gambling away all their money, and... Like, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I mean, who wants to deal with that, right? It's fucking bitches, I'm telling you. But of course, you gotta hang on to the kids. Well, yeah, those are your kids. Right, so... I mean... Clearly, something had to be done with the wife situation, and his way of dealing with it was to kind of try and make her even crazier than she already was. Oh, so start gaslighting her. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Basically, yes. There was, they split up in like 1972, like late 1972, and all of... 1973, they were kind of embroiled in this whole uh, custody dispute. Oh, that must have been So there was, like, the divorce, and then, like, he took them at one point, and she had to, like, check herself into, like, an inpatient psychiatric place. Like, he he got her committed a couple of times. Wow, so he's just pretty much, like... Kind of, you know, being shady about it, and then, like, you know, commiserating with the doctors, and feeding uh, them all sorts of information, and she went, like, willingly one time to try and, like, kind of prove that she actually wasn't crazy, and... But she's still getting, like, medicated as fuck, and... It just seems like whenever you try to, like, prove you're not crazy... Right. It never ends up working out for you. It, It didn't for a while, but she did manage to finally get herself out of there and he he was really low he would provoke her over the phone to, to like get her like angry so that she would start you know talking shit to him and he would record it oh, dude like in an effort to like oh how look crazy how crazy she, she is yeah look how crazy she is fuck yeah and um just like all but the it kind of like worked book. against him she got herself like a like a good solicitor and she kind of like disclosed how he had like a, a fetish a little bit. Like, um, he liked to like hit her with like a cane, like in a oh. sexual way. There was like some sort of like rubber suit that she had to wear in the beginning of their marriage. A little like, bit, of, a little bit of BDSM there. Yeah, a little bit of that going on. Which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, but with, in the eyes of 1970s British, yeah, society, there is high uh, society, high society. That's quite. Uh, and he woo. was really furious when she disclosed that information and at that point the judge actually granted her custody which was like a huge blow because a lot of times if you hold like the title and the lordship like you you yeah you're gonna get the everything yeah you're gonna gonna get get everything whether it's like the mother you know doesn't matter i mean they tend to favor the mother but that's for like commoners (laughs) yeah yeah like when it comes to the uh you know aristocracy who's got the better blood Mm -hmm. who's more likely to get hemophilia (laughs) so he was pretty furious over the whole situation and it was still ongoing i mean that was like the judgment for them but i mean they were still just going at it like oh yeah every time he had the kids he would like pump them for information he would you know drive by the house all the time jesus christ now the one stipulation the judge had was because he wasn't a hundred percent that 
Lady Lucan was uh, able to care for, you know, she needed a nanny. Yeah. What she needed to pay for, obviously. Right. He had to pay for her lawyer and his lawyer, and now he has to pay the nanny to be there. Um, And I don't know if that was because they were worried about her mental health or it was just like, well, you do know you need a nanny. I mean... You can't I be raising just little, how it is, you know. I mean, you that's can't just, be raising little aristocrats with no nanny, right? I mean, like, I'm sure that's just how it is. It's just like, well, going to need a nanny. I mm-hmm. mean, that's how you raise children with, with a nanny. That's what's done. I mean, what do you think? You're, you're some pleb. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the nannies that came to the family was. A 29-year-old girl named Sandra Rivet. Is this some sort of a yowza moment? It is not a yowza moment. Oh, okay. I'm just I'm just stating her name and age. Oh, okay. And she was she had never worked as a nanny before. She'd been like a hairdresser, and it was kind of like a big break to be the nanny for a someone, lord. Yeah, for yeah. a or lord a lady or whatever. A lord and lady. Some people as well to do as as the Lucans or or uh, I guess on the surface as well to do because really they didn't have a lot because he gambled everything away. <laughs> <laughs> right, he pissed it all away, but still. But still, you know, I mean, they have the title, so. The, yeah, that's 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 what matters. Mm-hmm. She had only been working for them about two months before some pretty awful shit happened. Oh, good. It's the 7th of November, 1974. Several people are just uh, having their evening drink at a place called uh, the Plumber's Arms. The Plumber's Arms. The Plumber's Arms. I wish that we had places named like that mm-hmm. around here as a general rule. Right. Like everything has to have like arms in it. Or, you know, like the... Like the just anything, it's just 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 great. Like I know British pub names are awesome. Like the the dragon and unicorn, or like mm-hmm. you know, like the 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 fat pig, or I just you know whatever. Yeah, the royal dregs. I mean, it's just it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. The plumber's arms. It's nine forty-five p.m. and a woman bursts into there screaming, "Help! Help!" I've just escaped from a murderer. He's in my house. He's murdered the nanny. Well, the police are immediately called to the scene. She identifies herself as Lady Lucan. Okay. And she is really fucked up. And by fucked up, I mean, like, she's covered in blood. Oh, shit. She's got blood pouring out of her fucking head. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's all, like, her face is all beat up. So she looks like she came off the set of, like, Evil Dead or something. Mm-hmm. So the police, uh, you know, get an ambulance going. She gives a brief statement to them that her husband tried to... She identifies her assailant as her husband and says that he murdered the nanny and tried to murder her. <laughs> and that she escaped and her children are back there. So they send her off to the hospital because... So um, she took off without the children? Yes. Yes. I'm pretty sure that in the moment she was. Had been beaten and cut and was a bloody fucking mess. And I don't think that she thought the children were in danger. Right. Like. 
it'll come out. But yeah, I mean, she. What's was- she gonna do if she's dead? <laughs> how's she gonna help these kids? Yeah, the their circumstances are weird, but she's the intended victim. I mean, you got to put on your face. Even the nanny in- was a, was an accident, and you know you got to get help. I mean, it's it's the seventies. You know, we'll, yeah, we'll get you know, to it. We'll, we'll, we'll get to we'll, it. We'll get to all the details we'll here, it. but um, they immediately go to the scene and they find the children there at the house unharmed. They go down to the basement, which is the kitchen. Like a lot of places in London, it's like the the downstairs is the kitchen. Probably because it used to be, you know, like dug into the ground or whatever, and so it was cooler, and so you'd have your because the the pantry would be mm-hmm. in a cool location, so things wouldn't go bad so quickly. I, I, right, London's a pretty fucking old city. It is, it is, and and then that's where like the servants were, were, were too, you know, cause yeah, they did the kitchen stuff, you know, upstairs, downstairs, yeah, yeah, <laughs> down Abbey, yep, <laughs> mm-hmm. They go downstairs, and find the body of Sandra and she's in a US mailbag. Like think of like a canvas, a big like canvas duffel bag, like a white canvas duffel bag. Kind of like the old like military backpack things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't remember what they'd call them like but yeah, yeah, like a big fat fucking duffel bag. Mm-hmm. But it was white. It was white it, was and it says US mail US one, mail. Yeah. US it, mail. No, no less. <laughs> That's weird. It is weird. But yeah, her body is stuffed inside. There's blood everywhere. There is no sign of Lord Lucan. That's unfortunate. Yeah, he has uh, quite clearly left the scene. Now, eventually, Lady Lucan is able to give like the full account to the police of what happened. And here is how it went down, according to her. At about... 8.40 p.m., Sandra goes downstairs to make the tea, because that's, like, their nightly thing. Right, well, that's the British. Of course it's mm-hmm. a night. It's tea. It's tea. And, I mean, tea isn't always just tea. Tea is often, often like, a meal, you know? Oh, yeah, like, yeah. That they call tea. True, like a snacky thing. So, right? I don't know if yeah. it was just to get, like, True. the drink, or if it was to, like, get, like, the drink plus some other food items. Not 100% sure, but either way. You probably only can know if you hear them how they ask you if you'd like tea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, if if, it's just written down, you're like, I don't know what what, what kind, but, like, the inflection of their voice probably denotes whether it's, would you just like a cup of tea or... Would you like the whole thing? Mm-hmm. It's like, are we going to have tea? Like, maybe tea is the meal, and if you just get a cuppa, that's where mm-hmm. you just get a Yeah, that's what I was tea. thinking, too, cuppa. Yeah. Any people that are British out there, feel free to correct us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hit us up, strangerthanpodcast at gmail.com. At around 9.15, Sandra still had not come upstairs with the tea, and she starts to wonder, what's going on here? Right. So she goes down to the ground level floor and she kind of peers down the stairway to the kitchen and it's like completely dark and she calls Sandra's name out a couple of times and gets no response and then out of nowhere somebody just comes and starts fucking beating her with like this lead pipe which oh she says God. feels like was wrapped in something she gets hit in the front of the head several oh. times and then she screams, at which point uh, the person assaulting her tells her to shut up. 
and she recognizes the voice as her husband's. Oh, fuck. <laughs> he went on to try and choke her. He shoved three of his fingers down her mouth and started to try and gouge her eyes. And at that point, she grabbed his balls, like, and yeah. got him the fuck off of her. Yeah. So there's, like, this whole big struggle, and then they both kind of end up on the floor, like, you know, panting and, like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. Wow. Wow is is right. I mean, Jesus Christ. She's fucking bleeding because he, he hit her, I think, like, almost seven times with a lead, with fucking, a lead pipe. fucking pipe. Fortunately, it was wrapped in something, probably. Yeah, he had it wrapped in, like, like, um, like medical tape, kind of. Maybe he was just like trying to knock her unconscious. Maybe he had some other fucked up plans for her. Well, I have no idea, but I mean, you're pretty serious about something when you start hitting people with like metal pipes. Yeah, yeah it's true. There's, you're not joking around when you've brought a metal pipe into the conversation. Right. There's no longer a conversation, I don't think. No, it's it's escalated beyond that. I'd say. At that point, he tells her that Sandra is dead. So I guess he's kind of like, you know, feeling sorry for himself because this just isn't going the way it was. Sandra came down. Now, later, the daughter would testify that their oldest daughter would testify that he'd had him the weekend before. And she had said that the nanny always goes out with her boyfriend on Thursday nights. And it was a Thursday night. But that particular week, Sandra had traded nights off. (sighs) So when it was like Sandra's night off, then... Lady Luke and Veronica would have been the one to go down and get the tea, get the tea at right. around the same time every night. So he had been wait- waiting and thinking it was her that was going to come down the dark stairs. He took a- the light bulb, like the police saw that the light bulb had been removed, like over the staircase. So, it was so like, they'd flip the light, and be like the fuck. Yeah, it's totally dark, and you'd have to like go down that dark stairway into the kitchen right. where he was waiting with his fucking pipe. But instead of his wife coming down. It was the nanny. Because he and, couldn't see either. No, and they had like, a, they were similar in height and yeah, weight. Yeah. So, and I mean, expecting it to be somebody, you think, it's like last night I came home for about an hour and then I went to hot yoga and I got back around 10 o'clock and it was like midnight. And I was thinking like Jarek was like asleep this whole time in his room, like just being a bad teenager again and sleeping all day and then going to stay up all night. Right. Kind of thing. And he comes in around midnight and I'm just like, wait a second, were you gone this whole time? Because I'm kind of mad because, I mean, he, I got back at a time when he should have still been at lacrosse practice. I'm like, oh, he didn't go to lacrosse practice. Right, right. He's just been home sleeping his ass off because he was up all night again. And I was like, <laughs> but then he comes in and he's got his lacrosse jacket on and everything. I was like, wait, were you gone this whole time? And he's like, yeah. He's like, I figured like around 1030 you hadn't called. So I guess you you were cool or whatever and i'm like yeah it's it's cool i just i swore his truck was parked outside because i was like did you take a truck and he's like yeah he's like and both times like first when i got home and then when i got home from hot yoga a little bit later both times i could have swore his truck was parked weird outside just because i was like expecting it to be you know i was expecting it to be parked along the fence where it usually is and the fact that it actually wasn't and he did go to practice and then went out with his friends after <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just that's yeah. just how it is. So yeah, he's expecting it to be his wife that comes down. The nanny's right. supposed to not be home. 
and he just goes for it and bludgeons her to death. And then probably at the point um, where he was, like, stuffing her into the duffel bag is when he was like, oh, fuck. Like, this is not my wife. This is not my wife. This is the nanny. Like, that's So crazy. then he kind of just, like, sits and waits because he's like, well, probably she'll be down in a while to <sighs> investigate what's going on. She does. He starts beating the shit out of her. She manages to fight back. And now they're kind of sitting at the top of the staircase, and he's just like, well, shit. <laughs> Fuck. This is just not my night. <laughs> yeah, not his night. And this is just not his night. I mean, I'm sure that's what he thinks every single time he, like, pisses away their money, like, and losing on it. This is not my night. Mm -hmm. Next time. Next, Next time. time. Next time. So, you want to you wanna guess what <laughs> this fucking asshole does in, in his... Uh, yeah, he's wallowing self-pity. It's like, man, I killed the wrong person, and now you fucking hit me in the nuts, and, you know, I got to deal with you, and you know what's going on. He's like, he suggests to her, he's like, well, do you think you'd be willing to just go up and, like, take a bunch of sleeping pills? Could you just go commit suicide? Yeah, so I, Because I can't kill you. <laughs> right. He's like, it's like, bludgeoning people is hard. He's like, like, <laughs> I was already very tired from beating the nanny to death. Yeah. Wow. And now I got to deal with you. You wouldn't just make this easy on me and go up and uh, take some sleeping pills. And so she agrees to just try and oh, yeah. placate him. Oh, totally. That's mm -hmm. that's exactly what I'll do. Yeah, because, I mean, at this point, it's like, God, I'm amazed she's even conscious. No shit. Like. She probably does not want to be. No. I mean, it's just like, she is like, okay, I will go up and take the pills if you let me lay down for a few minutes because I'm kind of fucked up a little Feel a bit woozy <laughs> feeling a little bit woozy and he's like okay dear you know and and even on their way up like he encounters the oldest daughter and you know sends her off to bed oh, jesus christ <laughs> yeah and she goes and lays down in the bed and he's like okay let me go you know get a washcloth uh to you know, wa you know wipe your face off and then then we'll finish up here okay so as soon as he goes in the bathroom and turns the water on, that's when she, like, jumps up and gets the fuck out of the house. Yeah. You know, like, the sound of the water's going on, so he's probably not going to hear her footsteps for a second. Yeah, yeah, she she's going to have some time. bolts. The daughter would later testify that, yeah, like, they were there with mommy, and they sent me to bed, and then I heard daddy calling her name and looking for her downstairs, and then, you know, probably at some point he realizes, like, oh, yeah, she... She's not. She said she was going to take those pills, and she's actually not. You oh know. God, what a dumbass! Seriously, what an idiot! She actually went and took off. She's probably going to tell the whole town I about it. I can't you know? believe the audacity of that woman. I know. <laughs> so, she lied to me. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm uh, telling you. I'm telling you. So yeah, this is the point where she. Goes running out of the house and you know to the first available <laughs> pub and summons right help. gets the fucking five o. Mm hmm. <sighs> it's pretty. It's pretty sick. That's pretty fucking wild. It is wild. Now I think probably the reason she survived is because well first he hit her in the front, like he got the nanny. She was like bludgeoned in the back of her head. Oh okay. And I think. Skulls are a little bit thinner. We have, we have thicker foreheads than and, maybe other parts of her skull. And maybe like the frontal lobe, the frontal lobe doesn't 
deal with consciousness so much as like the back yeah i, I mean know. you get your brain stem and all that back there yeah i don't I, mean, I'm not, I don't know for whatever reason you know she the nanny was totally i mean lady lucan was caught by surprise too but just not in the way that yeah the nanny was like she was attacked from behind didn't have the opportunity to fight back yeah but it's it's kind of a miracle that she survived the attack nonetheless <laughs> seriously they i mean they found that lead pipe that he had used and i mean it was literally like caved in it was like curved almost like a hook at that point wow so from beating people's heads with it yeah now here's lord lucan's end of what's going on following his wife's dastardly betrayal at not being willing to just you know die the nerve of some (laughs) women seriously at about 10.30, he calls his mother and tells her that, you know, something, there's something terrible that's happened at the house. Like, I mean, he had his own apartment nearby, but, you know, he's like... Right, at the house. At the house, house, at the family house. Something terrible has happened, and you need to come and collect the children. So she goes to the house and finds, obviously, it's like swarming with police, and they're just <laughs> like... like um, blood everywhere, cops everywhere. Yeah. And and they, I think, kind of fill her in on uh, what they think was going on. They do let her take the children, though, because... That's, yeah. Pro- I'm, I'm sure Lady Lucan had to be... Hospitalized. Hospitalized, and, uh, yeah. Now, about 42 miles away is a place called Uckfield, Sussex. And that is the home of his friends, Ian and Susan Maxwell Scott. It's hyphenated. Well... Yes. Now, Ian was out of town, but Susan let him in the door. He comes banging in the door at 1130 at night. Susan lets him in. He's, like, totally disheveled. <laughs> it appears that he might have had some stains on his clothing that he tried to, like, mop up. It's and, just Merlot. It's just Merlot. Yeah. He's just in a really bad state, it seems. like. And she's just like, oh, my God, what is going on? And so he gives her his version of the events. And uh, I watched a documentary, and it was I, I had no idea about this, but they they say he starts laying out like the fugitive spin on the story. Apparently, you know, you remember the fugitive? It was the one armed man. It was the one armed man. Yeah. <laughs> now, apparently, in Britain, they had a show called The Fugitive around this time in the seventies. I guess the American movie was based off the British show. Really? Well, yeah, it's like same plot. I don't know if the guy was one armed, but you know, nevertheless, the guy walks in on a guy attacking his wife, and then subsequently gets blamed for her murder. Right, right, kind of thing. So, yeah, he pulls the fugitive story on her. He says he was going by the house and happened to look in the window, <laughs> and he saw his wife being attacked by this assailant, and then he went into the house to help her. I guess, you know, the assailant had already killed the nanny. Right. And stuffed her in a postal bag. A U.S. postal bag. A U.S. postal bag. Yeah, you know, like, nobody ever really explained. I mean, he brought it with him, I guess, to, you know, get his I guess. Wife Who the fuck has a U.S. postal bag? I know, bag. like, but that's the mystery I want to solve, is, like, where did the postal right? bag come from? <laughs> Weird. So he he let himself, when he saw the attack going on, he let himself in through the front door and ran down the stairs. He immediately slipped and fell into a pool of blood. Oh, that's, that's why he was why covered yeah, in blood. Yeah, that's why right. he's covered in blood. Right, 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 right. And 
the man had run off immediately. Yes. Upon his arrival. Now he took Lady Lucan up the stairs to try and calm her and help her. But at that point, she became hysterical. Yes, as women and, do. Uh-huh, and she ran out of the bathroom sh- screaming, murder! And he panicked, realizing how bad the situation looked for him and had run. <laughs> yeah, that's because that's what you do as an innocent person. Right. Is you always run away. Mm-hmm. Now, aside from the fact that none of the forensic evidence supported his story at all, um. One of the most glaring holes in it is that, like, for him to have seen something going on in the kitchen basement through, like, the street window that, like, faced out. Like, he would literally have to have been, like, on the sidewalk, like, flattened on the sidewalk. Like, yeah. Like, looking in to have seen anything. Because so, it's one of those windows where it's... It's it's only, like, partially above. It's like a above. grate, almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So on my, I was just laying on my belly on the sidewalk, looking into my wife's house when I noticed. I mean, he was known to spy on his wife quite a bit. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, right. But he wouldn't he want to ruin it. He, he wouldn't want to admit that. And yeah, I don't know. No. Maybe that's why he thought he could say he looked through the window. And in his mind, that made sense because he had like laid flat on the sidewalk looking through the window at some point. I just point, so but... happened to peer in. Yeah. But it's definitely not something where it's like you would have just been walking by and happened to glance over. And yeah, see yeah. Going on. Totally. You would have had to be making pretty big effort to just be to be looking in the window and like, oh, so you just coincidentally happen to see some stranger in there attacking your wife. And yeah. You're to the to the rescue. Mm-hmm. You're a hero. But then, of course, you know, his crazy wife, you know how she is. Fucking hysterical. Mm-hmm. Women, am I right? She go, Yeah, she goes and fucking blames him and starts screaming murder. And Yeah. So, of course, he had to get out of there. And now, you know, and that's the story, Susan. And that's what's going on. And then Susan's just like, oh, dear, you know, and this is terrible. Blimey. <laughs> Susan's trying to get him to stay the night. And she's like, you know, like, let's. He calls he calls his mom another time and like the police are actually like there at her house. Yeah. And she's all like, you know, would you like to talk to the police, dear? And and uh he's like, No, he's like, just tell them I'll be there in the morning. <laughs> right. And it's like it's weird with like the interviews with the cops, like they one hundred percent expected him to like walk into the station the next morning, like with like a solicitor and a statement right. and like some sort of uh So story. they were fine with that. They're like, Oh, okay. Because there's still that whole Yeah, I guess you're you know, you're a lord. I you're mean, a lord. Why wouldn't you? You're... You have like this this honor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You I mean like okay, you you took off because you're freaked out about, you know, killing someone and trying to kill your wife, but one hundred percent you're gonna be back there. You're, you'll be lawyered up, but that's you'll fine. be back in the I mean, morning to like face the, the music we'll... and and do the right thing, and uh, there's no way you're just gonna fuck off, fuck off. And he and fucked off. He fucked right. He off. fucked right off. <laughs> he fucked immediately. Right off. Yes. So Susan is attempting to say, you know, like why don't we just you know go back to the police now? And he's like, no, I just I can't deal with that. Like right this second, he's like, I do need to like write some letters and and post them. Now the envelopes are. They actually have, like, blood on them, you know, because, I mean, he's still, like, just fucking, like, drenched in fucking blood. Hasn't changed his clothes. He hasn't, hasn't changed written, his yeah. clothes. I don't know. Maybe he borrowed some of Ian's clothes at some point after he writes the letters. And right. Then, you know, like, thanks for your hospitality, Susan. <laughs> Fuck. 
he just tells her, you know, like, no, I gotta, I gotta go right now, and uh, I'll then sort some stuff out, and I'll, I'll deal with the police in the morning. And she's like, well, of course you will. Like, oh, and and she didn't think to call the police and tell them that he was there at her house because she just assumed they didn't. She didn't assume that he wasn't being sought after. Right. Like the police were like, aware of the situation. Everyone they, they had talked about yeah, it. Yeah. They weren't after him though. He wasn't like wanted. Like clearly, the police would know that he was going to show up in the morning and they'll so, continue looking yeah. for the assailant that night mm-hmm. and in the morning he'll show up and help everything out right. he's a lord right and this is totally believable this story yeah like, this is all a big misunderstanding obviously the It'll police don't up. think it's you they're not after you so she just she was just like okay you know i mean this is how it looks but i mean we don't believe right. that the two letters he wrote they were both addressed to his uh I guess brother-in-law at that point, because it was like you know his wife's sister's husband, who was his friend. Um, yeah, yeah. Bill, Bill Shankid. Yeah, yeah. The first letter goes, "Dear Bill, the most ghastly circumstances arose tonight, which I briefly described to my mother. When I interrupted the fight at Lower Belgrave Street, and the man left, Lady Lucan accused me of having hired him. I took her upstairs and sent Francis up to bed to try and clean her up." She lay doggo for a bit when I was in the ba- and when I was in the bathroom left the house. The circumstantial evidence against me is strong in that V will say it was all my doing. I will also lie doggo for a bit. I don't know what the hell lie doggo means. It's just, you know, that's British talk, I guess. She maybe like, lay low. I don't know. Dog like let like a dog lays down. Like maybe just like rest. No clue. Wait, would she? He said she lay doggo for a bit, and then he's also gonna lie doggo. Oh yeah, as yeah. Well. They're just like taking a nap. Yeah, but I'm only concerned for the children. If you can manage it, I want them to live with you. He then names like the I think the name of his uh, lawyer, Mister Wall, who will handle the school fees or some trustee. I don't know, just whatever they're his kids. banker yeah. or whatever. Mm-hmm. He goes on to say V has demonstrated her hatred of me in the past and would do anything to see me accused. For George and Francis to go through life knowing their father had stood in the dock for attempted murder would be too much. When they are old enough to understand, explain to them the dream of paranoia and look after them. Yours ever, John. Now, the second letter, also addressed to Bill Shankid, is... Basically, just like a list of items of his that um, can be sold. There's a sale going coming up at Christie's November 27th. And uh, here are some stuff that you can sell of mine to satisfy my um, current creditors. And he lists uh, he lists about like one, two, three, four different creditors that he currently owes money to. And he's like, oh, here's here's some stuff you can sell to appease them. Everyone else that I owe money to can fuck right off. Here's the ones that matter. Uh, and then he, he signed it Lucky, because that, that was his nickname, was Lucky Lucan. That, that's oh, the nickname. Really? That was his gambling name after he won all that money. Uh, but, I mean, you just he just had the one big win, and then so was basically like a fucking that, loser from that point So on. it was ironic after. Mm-hmm. Lucky Lucan. Probably hated that. No, oh, no, he signed it? He signed it Lucky. Oh, no, man, that's even worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the notes were posted the following day. As I said before, uh, Susan Maxwell Scott had, had tried to persuade him to go into the local police because, of course, you know, I mean, all he needs to just do is explain it. And I'm sure to clear everything you know, right up, clear everything right up. 
It's kind of like when the police show up at Downton. Yeah. And like, uh, Lord Grantham's just like, uh, no, let me tell you what happened, police, and this is just how it's going to be. Like, oh, you're right, Lord like, Grantham, you know, but let me just. Sorry to bother you, sir. Sorry, sorry to bother you, my lord. You know, I just I just have to do this one thing. It's like this stupid law thing, and it's like, I'm required to, like, follow up on this. Yes, yeah, it's, it's like, very well, finish your requirements, now get the hell out of here. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he told her, just quote, that he had to get back to wherever and drove away. And that was the last valid sighting of him. Really? The car that he was driving was actually not his. He had borrowed that from one of his friends because his car battery wasn't working. Or more likely, he had planned to, like, at some point put his wife's body in the U.S. mailbag in the trunk of the car. And probably thought it was, like, best not to, like, use his own in case he he did fall under suspicion with those pesky police. (laughs) So he had borrowed a friend's car. (laughs) Fucking class act. Yeah. It was a Ford Corsair. And it was found abandoned at New Haven, where I guess there is a ferry. I'm not 100% sure where the fuck New Haven is. But it was near, it's near a a body of water. It's near a body of water. There's a New Haven in Connecticut. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, there's a lot of places uh, on the, you know, American East Coast that are named (laughs) after places that... Funny. Funny that. Yeah. Is there a haven somewhere? New Haven? Haven? There's got to be. Because, I mean, York, there's New York and New Jersey. There's Jersey. New York was originally New Amsterdam, I believe. Was it? I believe so. Interesting. Anyways, that's where the, the car was found. And Lady Luke and had type A blood, Sandra had type B blood. Both blood types were found in the car. There was, like, blood in the car. Right. That matched the typing. I mean, they didn't have DNA back then yet. There was another um, piece of lead piping also bandaged. Oh. Now, this one was clean and not dented in by skull. Right. I mean, I guess maybe maybe it was, like, his backup that he had. It was in it was in the boot or the trunk of the car. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, I mean, the plan was, like, okay, well, I'll keep this one handy here just in case. Just when, in case. Like, if I put her in the trunk and then she comes alive again, I'll have, like, a like a handy stick to... Bash her and Bash again. her. I'll have yeah. a fresh stick available to... Yeah. With. You know, because you just never know. You never know. There was also... Uh, a notepad and that had been used to write a note, which he had sent to his friend. So he sent a third letter to the friend who had lent him the car and they found like the pad that he had torn it from in inside the car. Now that note reads, my dear Michael, I've had a traumatic night of unbelievable coincidences. (laughs) However, I won't bore you with anything or involve you except to say that when you come across my children, which I hope you will, Please tell them that you knew me and that all I cared about was them. The fact that a crooked solicitor and a rotten psychiatrist destroyed me between them will be of no importance to the children. I gave Bill Shand Kidd an account of what actually happened, but judging by my last effort in court, no one, let alone a 67-year-old judge, would believe, and I no longer care, except that my children should be protected. Stand-up guy. Mm-hmm. Again, covers all the bases, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm the, innocent. The, the lawyer fucked me. The psychiatrist I thought was going to declare my wife crazy didn't. Fuck the judge. I'm a victim. 
correct innocent victim of happenstance. Yeah, I mean... Signs it yours ever, John. Now, several months later, an inquest was held. Like, <laughs> nobody sees him from this point on. They find the car, and, like, that's just it. There has been no legitimate sighting of Lord Lucan since. Wow. There have been, like, 70 alleged sightings here and there. And I'll get into some of the theories about what people think happened to him. But for all intents and purposes, like, this guy, has his body has not been found. He has not been found alive at any point, and <laughs> any of the, you know, like, dozens of sightings of him over the years in all these countries, I mean, none of them has panned out. Nothing. Nothing. And we're talking about a guy who's pretty distinct. I mean, first of all, yes, he's an asshole, but he's very attractive, all right? Right. Very attractive man. He pulls off the mustache without a beard really well, ah. which is a hard Rare. thing to do, Rare. in my opinion. Like I am generally not a fan of just the stash, but there's a he, few people out there it. who can do it. Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck is like number one guy who can pull off just the mustache. But uh, Lord Lucan definitely was a close contender. Also, he was very tall. Six foot four. So That's pretty tall. Even if you shave the mustache or you grow in a beard or you Still tall dye beard. your hair. Yeah, I mean, there's just no way you can really disguise your height and the fact that you are a lot taller than the average person. I'm not talking like tall, like, oh, you're six feet tall, so you're taller than average, but you still blend in pretty easily. Six four is, I mean... That's, that's, that's yeah. That's something people are going to remember. That's like kind of like stand out tall. And he's definitely got that tall, dark, and handsome thing going oh, on. Oh, yeah, for sure, which is, yeah. That was just all part of the, the package. Yeah, dark mustache. Mm-hmm. Dark parted hair the package that actually was like something that you would never ever want insane package <laughs> of murder the insane package of murder and um entitlement and i mean jesus like i just can't imagine like he just bludgeoned her and tried to choke her and gouge her eyes and and then it's just like okay well you know i'm really tired i fucking killed a nanny by accident do you think you could just go up and take some fucking sleeping pills? That's just, that's insane. I mean, like. Like, and then when she's like, yes, he's like, thanks. Like, okay, like, thanks. And then, like, like you know, your, just your, like, here, I'll, I'll go, let, let me get, get you a washcloth, darling, yeah, and I'll, I'll wipe, wash, wipe let me you clean down your here. face off here. In the, yeah. You know, I really appreciate it. Like, <laughs> I just, that just floors me. Yeah, seriously. That I mean, that is a level of cold that I just. Can't believe him. He's got to be a psychopath yeah. or a sociopath or whatever. Yeah. Like, 100%. There is something... There is something really wrong with somebody who, who does that in the first place for revenge or in the heat of the moment. But, I mean, to not only do that, but then, yeah. It's not like he stops and then just kind of, like, realizes and it's just like, Jesus fucking Christ, I... I'm fucking sorry. I can't believe I just lost my shit like that. He doesn't even he doesn't even like try to pretend to apologize. No. I mean, most people that do that are, are going to, you know, oh, like, I'm oh. sorry. I, you know, I won't never do it again. Which, of course, they will. But yeah, but it's just like but it's just like, ugh, like, geez, this has just not been my night. Can you just go up and take some fucking sleeping pills? <laughs> fucking insane. Yeah. It just doesn't get colder than that. No. I mean, you know. No. Well, like I said. Guy is legit. Never heard from again. There are a couple of theories. They they did have an inquest, which found him guilty of murder. And this was, like, actually the last time in Great Britain that they had one of these 
inquest where like without him there he was still declared guilty yeah yeah i'm sure people don't disappear very often right right and then even if they did it it would just have to be like one of those like well we'll charge him if we ever find him kind of thing but this was just like in kind of those between times like yeah but after the it, it only took like the jury like 30 minutes to yeah. find him guilty of murder this was done like you know with several months of like what had happened of the murder of Sandra and in 1999 he was declared dead for probate reasons oh yeah and i mean his estate was only worth like 15,000 pounds or something wow because he had just you know he squandered it he'd squandered all his money away it went to lady lucan yeah that's a shit um, fuck but the thing with that was that he even though he was declared dead for probate purposes, he didn't get an actual death certificate. So his son, George, still couldn't be like the, the next Lord. Yeah, the Lucan, eighth or the ninth, the ninth whatever. Lord. Ninth Lucan. Lord of Lucan, yeah. Yeah, or, oh, was it the eighth? No, I can't remember. <laughs> I think, yeah, his son was supposed to be the, the eighth. Oh, okay. Lord Lucan. However, in 2016, they did finally, the high court issued a, a death certificate. Finally. Wow. So now George is officially lord lucan lord lucan first theory as to what happened to him and this is one that lady lucan thought was the most probable is that he committed suicide there was like a ferry like i said where the car was found uh-huh. and there was like a 7 a.m ferry and there was there were a couple like witnesses some fishermen who'd seen somebody matching his description like out there on the ferry docks yeah but it wasn't like confirmed because they didn't know him. Yeah. And it was from a distance. So. Yeah, yeah. So Susan, his friend, his friend's house, that he was, that is like the last confirmed sighting. But right. the car was found knew, there. Yeah. Somebody looked like him was on the docks. She thinks that he got on the ferry and then jumped off of it to kill himself. And, you know, right where like the propeller would have like sucked him in and there wouldn't be any body left to recover. Yeah. Well, I mean, and even if. I mean, what, where is this ferry going from and where is it well, going to? Well, it's probably to? deep is if it, it's a ferry, I'm, and, you and, know. And so, like, yeah, it's going to be deep. And is this, this something connected to the ocean? Like, chances are pretty good mm-hmm. that the body's not going to wash up, that if any of those things are the case, regardless of whether they get hit by the, the bell or not. Right. So she thinks he put rockets, rockets, rocks in his pocket and then jumped off and was drowned or you know, yeah. by the propellers apparently he he used to boat race back in his back in his younger days pre-murder days in his pre-murder days yeah. he did this one big boat race that he almost won and it was a pretty big deal it was like you know like oh here's all the the rich kids doing their annual motor boat, boat racing race. yeah yeah. yeah yeah so she thinks he he would have known where to jump to where he would have just been chopped up and Killed Nothing instantly, fun. pretty much. Yeah. And she described that as brave, him doing that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll get into, like, her years afterwards, but no matter how bizarre it might seem, one should remember she was bludgeoned with a pipe. Yeah. I don't think she was, like, in the best mental—she was gaslighted. She was emotionally abused. Yes, for, for years, sure, probably. For years. Possibly before he even got to her. And 
Yeah, I mean, and definitely emotionally abused by him, all that gaslighting and trying to make her nuts, and then probably coupled with actual mental illness. Yeah, yeah. And then she was uh, nearly beaten to death and probably suffered some kind of brain injury. Yes. From that, so... Just gonna float that out there. Yes. For the time being. fuck. A poor woman, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, none of that just, is her fault. No, it's it's really awful. And it's all very terrible. It is all terrible. And then the nanny, I mean, geez, like two months on the job, you're so excited, and you just happen to be there not on your, you, you'd switch the night off. Just, shift switch. Yeah, I mean, switch just shifts, and then that's Shitty just luck it. On, her, yeah. on her part there. And, I mean, her parents were understandably upset because, of course, the <laughs> yeah, whole thing well, was about, like, Lord Lucan and, you know, the just some everyone fucking, kind of forgot about, like, the fact that yeah. she was murdered. Yeah. Like and it was just all about Lord and Lady Lucan's drama and his disappearance. I mean, it was like, just like. Yes, that was a whole fucked up thing. But look at, like. the Like the fact that he murdered her. He was murdered like this an woman. Afterthought. I mean, like, it was what just. What the fuck? Yeah. It was just unfortunate. So, uh, besides the suicide by jumping into the whatever body of water off the ferry uh, another theory is that he disappeared into africa also india new zealand australia ireland there have been sightings literally all over yeah. the world basically any of like and, the imperial british areas mm-hmm. i mean that was right africa india ireland new zealand right like those are all places that Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in India, he was like a hippie, you know, he was just like some Gandhi type. Playing sitar and having dreadlocks. Same with Australia. Now, there's there's, there's stuff out there that's like from just like the end of January, like really recent. Oh, really? So there's the um, Sandra had a son. The nanny had a son that she had given up for adoption. And the guy just found out like, I don't know, like 13 years ago, like the... The adoptive mother left him a letter, and after she died, he'd opened it, and it revealed that uh, she was, in fact, his mother. Wow. And so he's been on the hunt for Lord Lucan, too. And he swears that he's found him in some hippie commune in Australia. Huh. And he's trying to get the Metro Police in Australia to investigate it. But, you know, he has, like, a care now. Because, I mean, the guy's, like, 86 by now. Yeah, I mean, no he is shit. old as fuck. I mean, if he did manage to get away... If he hasn't died by natural causes, if he never killed himself in the first place or died of natural causes, I mean, he's old as fuck right now, by now, but this guy swears that he found him and that, yeah, he just, like, goes and, like, sits out with, like, these hippies, but, you know, he's basically, like, super old and has to be wheeled around and just sits around while these other people are out meditating or something, and that everybody in the neighborhood kind of knows about, like, the the mysterious Englishman who just turned up. Right. Many years ago, and no one didn't say anything because, like, all these, <laughs> you know, rich British types are just, like, kind of complicit in it, and, like, nobody questions anything because... Yeah, just like, whatever, here we go. Well, you know, I mean, that's that's another thing. I mean, Americans, I mean, we're super fucking nosy. Oh, yeah. Like, we want to know everyone's fucking business. It's like, hey, where'd you come from? And what blah, are you doing blah, blah, here? Blah. But, I mean, it's it's definitely more of, like, a, I would say, a British thing to, like, like, you don't Tell, go telling people your business. I mean, not only do we want to know everyone's business, we're dying to tell everyone our business, too. Yeah, yeah. This is like, here, let me sit down. I just met you. Let me tell you my whole fucking life story. I got Meanwhile, some stuff to tell you. <laughs> but, you know, British people a little bit more reserved, I think, yeah. culturally. It's, it's more like, hey, I'm not going to 
Especially back then. Right. I'm not going to spill my life story to you, and you're not going to question anything about my life. Right, and right. Just the right. fact that I turned up here, like, and I kind of matched the description of somebody wanted for murder. I mean, we're just not, we're just not going to mention that. Like, it wouldn't be polite. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so. It's wild. That, I mean, that just surfaced, like, Jan- I mean, I think the article where this guy is making these claims. It's like from like January 2019. So we're talking like last month. So nothing. So I did, I 2020 wasn't, or 2019? Oh, maybe it was 2019. God, I, am I so fucked up right now that I can't remember? Like January 2019, that was just last month. Yeah, <laughs> no, maybe it was a year ago. <laughs> Let's go with a year maybe, ago, maybe, yeah. Uh, maybe the Metro Police are just taking their time investigating those allegations. Yeah, or they just didn't because they thought it was bullshit. Yeah. Had other things to deal with, like their whole land being on fire yeah and they're like you know the high court declared him dead right a few years so, back, like, i'm so. sure that closes the case yeah uh, although scotland yard said that they are still investigating so huh. well shit that's crazy it's still an open case technically technically he's dead too but that's crazy yeah there's one other theory which i'm gonna discount right off the bat as as crazy but i just thought it was kind of funny I mean, nothing about this case is actually funny. I'm not an asshole like that. But he had he had his friend that was like part of his like gambling, high society gambling group. He actually like owned the place where oh, right. uh, he liked to like go in and gamble. The guy's name was like John Aspinall. And he had his own private zoo in Kent. All and right. one of the story goes the the stories about what happened to him is is that uh, Lord Lucan showed up at the gambling place or something and all distraught about what happened. And a few of his buddies were just like, hey, uh, this is a very bad business here. You've, you know, clearly fucked up. Do the right thing and like give him like a pistol. <laughs> it's nice. like, oh, wow, that's kind of Romanesque, like, isn't it? Right. You know, like, hey. <laughs> Some gangster ass shit. We'll give you the opportunity, you know, why, why don't you just be a gentleman and... Uh, take care of this yourself. Take care of this yourself, and he does. He shoots himself with a pistol, and then they took his body and brought it over to Aspinel's place and fed it to one of his tigers. Well, there you go. So, eaten by tiger. Now, the police did, in fact, investigate this theory when they heard about it. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, his mother, his mother was Lady Osborne, and she was said to have, you know, when asked if she knew Lord Lucan's whereabouts, she told the police that the last I heard of him, he was being fed to the tigers at my son's zoo. Oh. And when Aspinall himself was questioned about the incident, he laughed and he said, my tigers are only fed the choicest cuts. Do you really think they're going to eat stringy old Lucky? so uh, i'm guessing that didn't actually happen probably not that i'm seems... kind of 50 50 as to whether he killed himself or actually got away because he probably had enough friends and whatever you know yeah i can almost that, i can see him killing himself though. i can see him killing taking the easy way out just too. like he he did all this shit he's just like it just, just, just to kill yourself where... and she's like okay and he's like oh Finally, maybe this is mm-hmm. gonna this is gonna be fine. She escapes. He's like, I am just fucked beyond fucked now. Yeah, and it like mean- there is nothing I can do. I have lost all control. And then so he goes, and he's like, 
And I mean, he tries telling the story, but he just knows, like, in the end, like, like this isn't going to float. Like, I mean, He's he tries just, convincing some people by letter, like, you know. He just can't. And he, he, can't, just, even, he can't admit, he can't own up to what he did. He can't deal with people thinking bad of him, even when he's dead. Right. And so he writes these letters, like, mm-hmm. it looks real bad. It and looks then, real bad, but, you know, you remember how I got fucked by the, the yeah, lawyer and, then, and the judge. And, and then, then you disappears. Know. And, but I, know, I, can, I, can, I can definitely see him getting on the ferry and just having, like, a peaceful moment after a very hectic, stressful night and just coming to that conclusion, being like, I'm fucked. Yeah, and just and then just just stepping over in. the edge. I like it a little bit better than he went off to some other place, but it wouldn't be the. Fr- I mean, there's been plenty of people who've done stuff like that. I mean, he's yeah. certainly probably had the means and connections. But the thing that I don't quite buy about him going off and like living with the hippies is like, okay, so this is how he is. He's a fucking psychopath. He's a fucking degenerate gambler who's like just totally. I mean, it's like you don't really stop those behaviors. No. Like, you don't just pick up and just, like, begin a new life with completely new behaviors. I mean, I guess... It can, maybe. It I mean, can happen, but I think, in general, I mean, you would he would have gotten picked up. I mean, he would have started gambling again and, like, racked up some debts, and the people maybe that were, like, hiding him out would have got pissed off at him and turned him in at something, you know? Something, like, maybe. I feel it's... like he wouldn't have gotten away with it to be living to this day somewhere. Yeah. Even if he did get away, I think his his habits and the way he lived his life. I mean, this is this person who has never been like self sufficient, like ever. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just don't see him just like okay, well, I'm just gonna turning over a new leaf. Yeah, I'm just gonna live this quiet life and 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 do whatever to get by and never gamble away everything again. And I mean, it just it just seems unlikely to me that he would have been capable of changing. That, that much, way. yeah, yeah. So, Lady Lucan, she also died recently. She, she, you know, I mean, she didn't have to be declared dead unofficially. Yeah, they. <laughs> Two thousand sixteen is when Lord Lucan officially was declared dead, and in September of two thousand seventeen is when Lady Lucan died. Now she lived the rest of her life in that fucking house. Wow. She never left it. I mean, it's kind of one of those old, like, British tales about, like, the crazy spinster, like, living in this old, dusty... She's not quite a spinster, antiquated. but... I mean, she wasn't a spinster, but you know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. I understand about. what you're saying. Yeah. yeah this old-timey kind of house. Mm-hmm. And-, and, like, everything's, like, got dust over it. She, like, keeps all the the knickknacks and yeah. the reminders, and she's just kind of, like, mentally suffocated by it all, but she won't leave it either. Right. And, um, yeah, she, when she died, she was 80 years old. She killed herself with like a mixture of drinks, alcohol and pills, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because she had misdiagnosed herself as having Parkinson's. Oh. Yeah. Now she had given some interviews finally. She did. She kind of stayed out of the public eye, but she was one of those, you know, she still did her hair and her makeup all big and uh, looked pretty good. Right. Late in life. But. She really just stuck to this house, stuck to her habits, like reclusive. Kind of, yeah, she was. She just kind of lived this life of like quiet despair, where she just couldn't really move on with things. Yeah, and just kind of seemed stuck in this whatever. But she did give some interviews, and she talked extensively about how much she believed in euthanasia, and that <laughs> how she didn't ever want to be a burden on anybody ever. Oh wow. 
She kind of hoarded all what was left of her money. I don't even know how she had income. Maybe it was just, maybe she still was like a lady and she still gets some of that British tax money. I don't know how that works. Yeah, money from an estate, maybe. I'm not sure. When she died, she had a sufficient amount. It was like five hundred and seventy-six thousand pounds. Oh wow! So she had she had some some cash. She did have some cash. Now she was estranged from her. She didn't spoke to her children in thirty years. All three of them. Wow. She was estranged from all three of them. She cut them all out of her will. She left everything in her will to a homeless charity called Shelter. Huh. That's the name, Shelter. And in it, she cited that, like, her children didn't get anything because they had poor manners. Huh. Something Who like knows that. what happened there? I mean, at least she didn't, like, leave it all to her cat or something. Definitely. At least it I went mean... to, like, something that would help humans. Yes. But... What, is, what a fucking story. And there's several books about, like, euthanasia and <laughs> found in there. And, like, yeah. And, God, this one reporter was such a sleaze. Like, they wrote this article about her and... And uh, talked about, like, yeah, like, you know, the coffee was instant. You know, the chocolate was from the budget, local budget market and stuff. Oh, and it's just right. like, kind of like the downfall, like how far she's fallen. Totally. Serving me instant coffee and, and bargain rate chocolate. But right. it's just like, you know what? You don't need to be a dick about it. All right. It's like, yeah. So, yeah, she hadn't spoken to her children in 30 years. She rejected any attempts to have contact with them yeah she had grandchildren she never met i mean she and it's just sad it she is, died yeah. just alone and... alone and just yeah. yeah and i mean her children i guess were polite enough to say some nice things at her funeral right and they thought it was it was totally fine that they didn't get any of her money um now i think it didn't say a whole lot about why they were uh, estranged in the first place, but at some point, the kids the kids are kind of on this. Th there's a lot of theories that, like, oh, well, maybe there really was another intruder, even oh, though right. it's been disproven all kinds of ways. There's a, there's a great website, www.lordlucan.com, and you can go there, and, and the, the gal that did the whole website, she goes into great detail about, like, how... The, the forensics of it and how that when that scenario wouldn't work because right. there's been like books published about it there's ones that say you know there's been a few more than one book published that um posits that there was actually an intruder interesting yeah so i think his kids kind of left latched on to that theory because they didn't want to believe and i'm sure their dad manipulated them a whole bunch their parents had an ugly divorce at an impressionable age yeah and they wouldn't want to believe that their father was capable of doing that anyway yeah but yet their mother who was like no he fucking beat me with a pipe right she felt it was like a betrayal to her yeah that they would understandable even too. think that like he hadn't really done it and that she was like making i mean that either she was mistaken or making it up yeah so that's all. I mean, and that's another thing shitty about him, you know? It's like, yes. you know what? You could have at least just fessed up to what you did because now, like, they're, that created you this fucked whole... fucked up everybody. Yeah, you just fucked everyone's life up. So, yeah, she died. She killed herself at age 80 alone in the same house, having not spoken to her children in decades and leaving them absolutely nothing. But, in, I mean, I guess the well. kids seem to be okay. and um, And that is the mysterious uh case of lord lucan the mysterious and tragic and awful fucked up case of lord lucan 
So we got a uh, couple of real douchebags. Mm-hmm. Don't well, gamble. Yeah, don't don't gamble. You know, it's just not a good idea. The house always wins, in case no one has told you this. Or at least gamble with in moderation. In moderation, just yeah. for fun, because... I have to set myself like a like a cash limit. I don't like I, gambling. I, I never no I hardly ever gamble. I gamble like once every three years, but yeah. it's like, okay, I'm pulling out forty bucks and as soon as this forty bucks is gone on the slot machine, like it's done. Yeah. And yeah, I'll I'll win even... a little bit back and I'll lose again. But I mean eventually it dwindles away. I can waste my money without just putting it into yeah. a machine. Yeah, and even and even then yeah. forty bucks, like I'm just like, God, forty bucks I spent on that, but yeah. No, know, know your limits. I know people that actually do it. Like they'll spend like hundreds of dollars out of their paycheck, like every month gambling, That's and it's crazy. just like, dude. And certainly don't kill people. Kill people, or um, try to you know cover your debts by killing people. And but do in fact yeah. check out our Patreon. Yeah, that that's a good thing to do. Check At out our Patreon. Patreon dot com slash Stranger Than Podcast. For $2 a month, you get ad-free episodes. For $5 a month, you get a bonus episode every month. Also, check out ageofradio.org. That would be our the podcast syndicate we're a part of. They've got some wonderful other podcasts there and deals. There's some deals. There are some deals. Other than that, check out our social medias. All the links and what have you will be below. And we will talk to you next time. And stay strange. Stay strange.